like apples. Welcome to the Do You Like Apples podcast and the dry month of January that is killing our desire to see anything new. So we thought we'd change up our format a little bit this month and look back what is now 25 years from now, which is insane to think about. But we are going to do a podcast like it's 1999 miniseries where Drew and I came up with uh, three pairs of movies that kind of relate to one another. Uh, the most being, I think, this episode, uh, which is our sci-fi edition, where we're going to be talking about The Matrix, uh, the Wachowskis, uh, big, not debut movie, but big announcement movie that kind of came out of nowhere. And then Existence from a, a seasoned director uh, that is David Cronenberg. And we're excited to pit these against each other, but not in the argumentative way. Uh, these are movies that are... Uh, Similar in theme, uh, very fitting that they came out at the turn of the century, and uh, kind of a passing of the uh, passing of the guard from directors that I think on the surface aren't uh, very similar, but uh, you can you can draw a lot of parallels from Cronenberg's career into the Wachowskis' career, and uh, the Wachowskis have seen a lot of success early on in their career and are a little bit in their Cronenberg era of movies. Um, kind of not seeing that commercial success like they used to, a little bit pandemic related as a result of that. Um, but yeah, this is uh, David Kroderberg when this movie came out was 56 years of age. Lena and Lily Wachowski uh, were in their early 30s making The Matrix. Uh, they had Bound come out a few years before The Matrix. And it's just, this falls into the Hollywood tradition of similar ideas for movies coming out in the same year. Think of movies uh, like uh, 10 years ago now, like White House Down and Olympus Has Fallen, or even before that, The Prestige and The Illusionist. Um, or No Strings Attached and uh, Friends with the Yes, Hens, exactly. Right? It, Hollywood is not that creative, guys, uh, but even in the middle of, yeah. of Hollywood making weird decisions about releasing movies in the same year, um, you still find voices that find a lot of truth and really interesting perspectives into this, uh, into this world. And these movies have kind of taken on a life of their own in the last few years. Uh, the matrix just being so iconic at the time of it coming out as kind of, uh, with the directors transitioning themselves in real life. Um, matrix is kind of taken on a trans allegory. And then Existence is kind of being reclaimed as the more relevant and pertinent cautionary tale of our time, whereas The Matrix kind of held that title for a long time be before the kind of the current moment that we're in. But I am Billy Rock, and my co-host is Drew Wentz. This is the Do You Like Apples podcast. We're excited to have you in this episode. Drew, how are you doing, man? Doing great, Bill. Excited about this this uh, podcast, like it's 1999 miniseries. This is going to be... I think we got some interesting pairs. Yeah, and we'll uh, you guys can check out our social media for the future episodes. Um, we we got uh, kind of a comedy edition coming next week, and then uh, a, a announcement of two movies from first time directors uh, for our last uh, series of the month. And then uh, we're not going to commit to anything, and I might cut this out, but we're we're teasing of ending the month with a 1999 movie draft, uh, going back to our bread and butter with a. Uh, with a potential idea there to round up the month before we get back into 
March, which is uh, uh, the, the month of Dune. So um, we'll be getting back into yeah. new releases here shortly, but I'm excited that we get a look back. Um, Drew, I think obviously both of us had seen The Matrix before this. I had seen Existence. I don't think you have before we we set out on this endeavor. So kind of talk about what watching these movies again, either as a rewatch or a first time went for you. How, how'd that go? Well, what I liked about kind of how we are structuring this miniseries is on, on 1999 is that we're kind of doing in general, one movie's more famous. Mm-hmm. Everyone's seen it. And the other movies like, maybe a little bit less well-known in this case, I think a lot less Mm well-known than, than the other movie. Um, So yes, I had not seen existence um, before we decided to do this episode, but you pitched the idea of, of of pairing the matrix with, with it. Um, And it turns out it's a pretty apt uh, comparison. They are (laughs) similar in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. um, other than just being 1999 sci-fi movies. Um, a lot of uh, overlap between virtual reality, um, between uh, kind of a pessimistic outlook on you know where where our technology is taking us, mm-hmm. uh, where the internet could take us, um, gaming and and uh, you know living your life online, um, very prescient in a lot of ways and and dated in, in other ways too. So I think I'm excited to talk about all that. But yeah, I think with the Matrix, um, I. I probably had not. Well, I, let's see. I, I rewatched it a couple years ago when the matrix four came mm-hmm. out. Uh, the matrix resurrections, I think is what it, what it's mm-hmm. called. Uh, that came out in 2022, I believe, or 2021, I think. Um, so I rewatched the original, f- uh, before, before seeing that and was just reminded all over again. And then watching it again this week reminded again that how, how masterful, this is and how crazy it is that the Wachowskis were able to pull this off mm-hmm. at, in their second movie and um, that, that Warner brothers entrusted them um, with making this project. And um, I think, yeah, it, it, it's, it's funny. It, this was not a movie. I mean, for those who don't know, we were kids in 1999, mm-hmm. but th- this was not a movie that like I grew up, like one of my favorites. I watched it all the time. You know, I think I probably saw it in high school at first, which would have been, I don't know, almost a decade after it came out. Um, and then I, I probably didn't see it again the second time until, like I said, two years ago or three years ago, rewatching it for the, the Matrix 4. So, but having seen it a couple of times in the last couple few years, I've been like, yeah, there's a reason this is so iconic. And it's it's not just cool sunglasses and trench coats and and bullet time. Um, it, it's like, it's it, there's, there's all big reasons, big reasons that this movie is so so amazing and um so yeah that was kind of my experience re-watching it this week that's so interesting that you brought up kind of where you were at the time of seeing it for the first time because i just assumed that i was the only one that didn't really grow up with the matrix um, i didn't see it for the first time until either senior year before like i just graduated senior year of high school and going into college or like during a break right after my freshman year of college or during it and yeah, I, I think because of that, it, it missed the mark for me the first time. I just, that hype for a movie like the matrix is hard to live up to. Um, when all of your buddies around you for so long, um, are, are just saying how amazing it is. And then you kind of, I feel like, I, I wonder if you have this movie drew, but it, it was almost sad taking away the, 
fun fact that I could throw out that I had never seen the matrix. Um, it was just, it was just an easy one to be like, Oh, what, what's a, what's a big movie that you haven't seen? And it's the matrix. And people are like, what are you kidding me? You never seen the yeah, matrix. Yeah. And then I finally saw it. And so that, a little bit of my annoying personality got taken away uh, after that, but <laughs> I was fortunate enough, uh, a Saturday plan fell through. And naturally when that happens and I have a, a, a free time, I'm like, Oh, what's playing in the movie? The good old, the good old picture show, the movie theater, the, good old cinema. the cinema, and uh, happens that uh, Alamo Drafthouse is doing a 1999 retrospective as well. The Matrix was playing 30 minutes. Uh, it was coming on in 30 minutes when I was checking my phone. So immediately bought a ticket. Uh, I would say the theater was about three quarters of the way through. And I, I hate to report that I'm kind of still in the mode of this franchise just misses the mark for me. Um, I really liked the fourth one that came out, uh, okay. in 2021. Um, I would have to rewatch all of them kind of in succession to figure out if it could, uh, supplant the matrix for the number one spot. But I would say the original matrix is still my favorite of the series, but yeah, it's just a, something about it just has never been fully. I've never been fully able to resonate with what the story is doing, the style that the Wachowskis bring into it. Um, I, I, Last year, I saw Bound for the first time, and I loved Bound. That's probably my favorite Wachowski. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily the style that's off-putting, um, but yeah, you watch Bound and you're like, okay, now I see why <laughs> Warner Brothers was so hyped on on them because Bound is so incredible. Exactly, you see why that they gave them the keys for this. Yeah, and I, it's it's kind of conflating in my mind because we're like we are pairing a Cronenberg movie with it, um, but you kind of see if the Wachowskis were ever to really go small again, I think there is like a Cronenberg X esque style and that's influenced them in the past. I think, um, uh, they, they go into a little bit of the body horror aspect, which Cronenberg is known for with the matrix, uh, a lot of like things being plugged in and out of people. Um, the, the style I think is, uh, uh, kind of, a, a stone's throw away from, a Cronenberg movie maybe, but yeah, this it's, it didn't. Yeah. Just it's, it's kind of a middling franchise for me. And, and, and I fully recognize that I'm the reason for it. It's it. I'm not here to say like the Wachowskis are overrated. Uh, why did they, we give them the mantle though? They, they deserve the mantle that they've been given and they've delivered in uh, a, a lot of different ways and many different movies. Um, and I love that even despite their initial su success, that I think they're still, I would consider them kind of a cult, classic filmmaking yeah. duo yeah. even though they've both uh they've broken off and i forget which one directed the fourth matrix um but i know that i think lana, lana directed the fourth yeah movie. so i know that they didn't uh come back uh, for that one together um but yeah so it i i hinted at it at the beginning of the episode but um both the directors are trans women and uh i think even before that their transition the movie in uh, queer circles had taken on a, a life of its own as a, a trans allegory type story and seeing that uh, lens and kind of looking at it, the matrix for it um, made it a more interesting watch this time. I would say I, I I'm still kind of trying to learn how that thing might play into this story. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I'm really excited to talk about it, but is there anything about the movie drew that, misses for you or are you kind of fully in the camp that this is a masterpiece 
Well, you know, it's fascinating that you, because we've not really talked mm-hmm. about the Matrix. I didn't really know that you weren't really all the way in on it. Um, so it's it's actually, this is going to make for an interesting conversation that you um, you are, are just kind of a little more medium on mm-hmm. it. Um, even even seeing on the big screen didn't didn't sway you too much? In, in the... No, not not really. Like I, I had a good crowd around me. The, the people around me were really into it. Um, but yeah, I thought that big screen would have... Uh, turned my mind into understanding a little bit more of why this franchise is so iconic, but I'm yeah, just, it, it, it didn't help for some reason, which I, I the power of cinema sometimes fails me too. And I, uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm not ready for it. I'm not ready for it. I hope this isn't just a me becoming less of a movie fan, but it is. Yeah. It was so, I, I was fully expecting to come out of it, understanding what this movie is. And I just, I, I'm not there yet. Well, I, w- I would say my relationship with the Matrix movies, I I do think the first one is a s- modern sci-fi masterpiece. Mm-hmm. The next two, uh, you know, I probably haven't seen since college. Right. Um, and I only remember parts of them. And I remember those being both very flawed. Um, but although I do need to rewatch it because it's been so long since I've seen them. But I know I know people, some, they have their fans, um, those, those two movies, two and three. And then the Matrix 4, which came out a couple years ago, I thought was an interesting big swing, but just I just thought didn't mm-hmm. end up working. Uh, I didn't think it it was all that successful in the end, even though I thought the first half of the movie was was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I'm you know pretty cool that they came back and, and did For that sure. and tried something crazy with it, but um, didn't totally work. I I just think the first one is just such a confluence of talent and. Um, people at certain points of their careers that that worked out and and just a, an exciting idea and screenplay that I think that was executed brilliantly. I, it's it's kind of a complex plot and background and everything, but it's rendered and explained in, in the, the original ones with like such vision mm-hmm. and like accessibility that you don't need to know like all that much about AI or uh, virtual reality, or, you know, you can kind of just, they, they render it so brilliantly, which I think is why it's was immediately so successful. I think it was the number five movie at the box office that year, Mm -hmm. um, made a lot of money and then why it's so enduring. I think people just new people continue to find it, I think. And then obviously there's just, just a massive matrix following, um, for, for these movies and especially the first one. So, I think what I find most interesting to think about, I mean, it's, it's super entertaining. Mm -hmm. And I think even, even it's to to track the movies detractors would, would agree with that. It's very entertaining, very watchable um, on the surface. But I think what I always find interesting about it and it's like the marriage of like spectacle with idea driven storytelling Mm -hmm. and that those kind of movies always get me. Um, they always, always get my, my brain going and they get me excited and, and, you know, it, you know, if the ideas in the matrix are probably more dorm room level, you know, college, you know, when you're first like learning about philosophy or psychology or, mm-hmm. or whatever, um, it's not necessarily like, you know, the deepest ideas ever, but there's a real skill to translating you know, heady ideas like that to a, to a mass audience. Like that's such a hard thing to do. And I thought the Wachowskis pulled it off brilliantly in the first one. Uh, it's kind of telling that so many different religions, philosophies, mm-hmm. worldviews have like found something resonant in the matrix. 
And I mean, this happens to some classics like Groundhog Day is the same way um, where, you know, Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism, Judaism, Gnosticism, existentialism, you know, all of these worldviews have like taken something from the matrix or see something in the matrix that they have interpreted as, oh yeah, this is true according to my beliefs mm-hmm. or according to uh, my worldview. There's even, I, I was researching for this episode and there's even a religion called matrixism. <laughs> I don't know if you, I don't know if you've seen this, but is there a local church basically, that we can try out soon? Uh, oh, we, we should have done yeah, that before. We should have. Yeah. I think they're probably a Tuesday night service type of religion, I would think. So yeah, once, I could once that. we log off, which we're recording on Tuesday night, we'll have to see if, and they definitely don't go to the pulpit before 10 PM. So uh, I think, I, they're late, late yeah, late, I think we could make, make a certain service. service if we, we seek out an yeah. underground matrix religious service here what, what, after the from what i understand matrixism is like a very loose uh right. quote-unquote religion i don't know how seriously like the adherents of matrixism take it yeah. but but there is like a actual movement or like people that have you know kind of are so obsessed with with the matrix and the ideas in the matrix um that they've kind of built this this religion around it um so yeah i mean i, th- I think there's the entertainment factor but there's also the you know intellectual factor you know it gets me thinking of like the the philosophy intro to philosophy classes i went to in college where we talked about plato's the cave or mm-hmm. rene descartes evil demon uh hypothesis or Immanuel kant you know there's just so many things to for me to go to with this movie mm-hmm. and that's before even thinking about like keanu reeves what this did for his career right. and uh lawrence fishburne and carrie ann moss and my guy joey pants <laughs> you know there's there's so many so many things to talk about this movie. So I know I went in a, like 10 different directions there, but so yeah, that's, that's kind of where my, where my head's at after rewatching it again. No, I think you hit on something though, that at what is ever so present in our minds now is just our uh, habits with technology and how that's progressing. And I, I, I definitely kind of understood, I think we'll get into more specifics about existence here in a second, but I think existence hits on the fear of technology better than the matrix but I think what made the matrix so outstanding at the time and still outstanding to a lot of people, obviously is those philosophical aspects. Uh, we weren't quite as a, as a culture, uh, knowing enough about the trajectory of technology people were fearful of things like Y2K and the turn of the century, no doubt. And maybe that went into a little bit of what, uh, the matrix was trying to go for, but I think those perspectives weren't quite, um, at the forefront at the time, whereas the idea of philosophy and religion and uh, kind of your your world thought and are you being uh, bamboozled by these higher powers that are controlling all uh, nooks and crannies of your mind, um, those are just uh, everlasting things that when a movie, mm-hmm. which you can kind of get into uh, making fun of it by saying, oh, that's dorm room level psychology, like why are we giving time to such quote unquote, simple stories. But when a movie's able to tap into those themes uh, in an original way in a new context that we haven't really seen it before um, and kind of repackage for something new, uh, it, it makes it stay and it, it draws a lot of people to the to the theater. And obviously that's what happened here being the fifth biggest movie of that time. And I think eventually a billion dollar franchise. So uh it, it, it's everlasting for that reason. I think even more so than the, the, the fear of technology and uh, the, the uh, mind melds of 
reality versus virtual reality. So, um, yeah, the, this movie is has a presence for a reason, and it it has more weight than maybe like a Avatar does, where it's just like it's we don't really understand right. why Avatar is still so so successful, but it makes complete sense why the Matrix uh, is successful. I think so at least. It it even though I'm still middling on it. I didn't leave it not understanding why it hit at the time. It, it's very obvious why it hit at the time. Um, it's sick to look at. Keanu's super badass in this movie. Uh, the whole cast is badass in this movie. I think the mm-hmm. the biggest standout of each time I've watched it is just Lawrence Fishburne. Just his presence on screen is kind of otherworldly. Yeah. Um, obviously, he's, he's kind of playing that uh, prophet, messiah type of figure. I guess Keanu is more of the uh, the Messiah, Messiah aspect, but yeah. uh, the the prophet aspect is Lawrence Fishburne, and then um, the John the Baptist, yeah, John the Baptist as- aspect for sure, and then uh, yeah, an iconic villain performance. Um, uh, what's that actor's name off the top of my head? I'm I'm forgetting. Hugo Hugo Weaving. Weaving. Yeah, just you. He's so so good, good in this movie. Just oh. if he's, I wouldn't consider him a movie star, but he has the presence that brings weight to any role that he's in. Like he's. Uh, he's Elrond and Lord of the Rings, just the the exposition king in that movie. And then, um, mm. yeah, he's the voice of one of the border collies in Babe. So it it it, it continues and continues <laughs> his iconic status. I and I didn't know. That. I know. Yeah, I remember watching that like probably 10, 15 years ago now. And I was like, that's that voice. I know that voice. He's in every awesome movie that you can think of. And V for Vendetta. Um, he's obviously iconic in that one as a faceless role. So. Um, yeah, the supporting cast kind of looms larger than the main cast at times in this movie. Um, even in, but Keanu's still Keanu, and he's amazing. So uh, the cast that they were able to put together um, and able to... It's it's a big cast, don't get me wrong, but for that time, not the A-list stars that you would think would have to be attached to get this movie made. Well, I want to talk about Keanu mm-hmm. real quick because, I mean, what a roller coaster of a career. Mm-hmm. I mean... Going from, you know, he, so he, he, I think Speed was in 1994 was like a huge movie for him. Yeah. And it was like, oh, Keanu's like going to be a big action star. And he made a bunch of choices in the 90s that were not action y. You know, he tried to do different things. Yeah. They didn't, it was like a string of disappointments from Speed, the five years from Speed to The Matrix. And then The Matrix hit hits in 99. He's like a mega star. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there were alternate casting considerations oh, for huge Neo. you know will smith yeah will smith turned it down uh for wild wild west and there's a very funny uh youtube video that will smith put up of him explaining his decision to to turn down the matrix mm-hmm. uh so you guys should go watch that if you haven't seen that leo dicaprio was initially accepted which i don't think i knew this I but either, um yeah. he, he didn't want to do another visual effects like spectacle so soon after titanic um so he he initially accepted it turned it down they ended up with keanu and he's kind of the perfect vessel for like this messianic, mm-hmm. you know, action figure. Um, but yeah, like growing up, like I remember, you know, I probably in the, somewhere in the two thousands range, 2010 range. Keanu was like a little bit of a punchline. Yeah, for uh, sure. For certain people. And I think like, I remember growing up, like it was like, Oh, he's the most wooden actor imaginable. Like Keanu is so boring. And, and then now go, looking at it now with John wick, kicks off i think in 2014 so it's like 10 years of john wick he has done some other things that like you know rom-coms and other things that have been you know made him more 
palatable to people, but mm-hmm. now he's so beloved and he's such a legend. But it, it, yeah, it's funny to think about him back in 99, just trying to find the next big thing. It's funny with uh, his sci-fi uh, past before the matrix. Um, he, he dealt, I don't think he did much sci-fi. I guess you can uh, consider Bill and Ted a little bit of a sci-fi effort, which is successful in its own right. But he did a movie called Johnny Monomic, uh, which I want to bring up because I've never seen it. But for whatever reason, my uncle had that pinball machine in his basement for Johnny Monomic. Monomic. However you pronounce that. Yeah. How do, you, how, do you, how do you pronounce that? I have, still have no idea. I actually don't know. It was a pretty sick. I haven't seen the movie. It was a pretty either. sick pinball machine. And I remember Criterion, they didn't release it as a hard copy, but periodically they'll group themes on their streaming service. And one of them, I don't know if it was campy sci-fi, but I remember Johnny Monomic mm-hmm. is a, uh, was a part of that listing. I, I still didn't give it a chance to watch it, but uh, I don't think he, my uncle's even seen it. He just like, I don't know if he thought it was the matrix and <laughs> he hasn't even seen yeah, it. I, I don't think he has, or maybe he has, I think he lied to us saying that he loved the movie, but I, to this day do not think he has seen it, but I'll have to confirm that for a later episode, but yeah, a huge miss. Like I think just uh, a huge special effects spectacle that it just hasn't aged well from what I understand. And then the matrix comes along and he's, able to reinvent his career and yeah it almost made him the punchline the matrix because i think for a long time it was like he just had to play that role for forever so we Mm -hmm. thought that all he can do is be a wooden uh, emotionless actor then you get into movies later in careers like something's got to give and uh even the john wick movie he has some charisma so uh i think yeah, he's, he's just he's net positive for the world in every aspect of the word. Like he's incredible, seemingly a very sweet guy, um, very humble. And I'm, I'm so happy that a major movie milestone like this was able to produce an actor like uh, like Keanu, because even though Leo is more of a movie star and on on paper, maybe could have brought a little bit more uh, actorly weight to this role. But you don't need that for neo you mm-hmm. you need the wooden uh lack of personality you need like a blank slate exactly that you just need, yeah that comes out as these next movies come out which uh i think in the fourth one they delve into him kind of progressing as uh his human character a little bit more so um yeah the matrix right. it, I, I don't know if there's much more to say about it um but it, it has its it's a little brother pairing uh with existence uh, i set the table a little bit earlier but a David Cronenberg movie and uh, it's starring Jude Law and Jennifer Jason Lee. Jennifer Jason Lee is a video game developer coming out with the, the next big thing uh, in gaming, which is a virtual reality type of game. Uh, definitely ahead of its time for that. Uh, I don't know if it was playing on like the World of Warcraft beginning or anything like that. I don't even know how David Cronenberg knows about video games because he wrote the movie too. And he was 55 or 56 when this movie was made. So maybe just a pioneer for gaming from, from the jump. I'm not sure, but it, it made a lot of sense when I was watching the movie of the games that I've played and it predicted a lot of things, uh, interesting things, but drew before we get into those details, what did, uh, what did you think about existence on your first watch? What a fascinating 
watch for to not know anything about it. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I I thought it was pronounced existence when I pressed play right. on the movie, <laughs> but in, in the very first scene, a character's like, "The game is called Existence,", existence. and I was like, "Oh, right. thank you." Now now I know how to pronounce this. Movie. Right. That's great. Um, <laughs> there's a there's a scene so that, in, that was very there's helpful. a scene in New Girl where uh, Nick Miller uh, is talking to his uh, new buddy Tran, the old Asian guy that he befriends. Oh, yeah, of course. Where he's uh, Tran. He's just uh, like speaking uh i'm trying to give context of the scene that uh, nick is having like an existential crisis and he's just saying the enemy is the inner me the enemy is the inner me and then he, like his eyes widen and that's like kind of what how it is for existence where it's like oh it's saying existence interesting and just like how that's like a, a kind of a, a mind uh, uh uh just like a revelation in the first line of the movie almost it's like oh yeah. yes of course it's not yeah. existence it's existence but yeah, and Existence. and then also to give context, if you look up the title, uh, it's lowercase e, capital X, I think lowercase everything else except for the T in the middle. So it's, yeah, they really- it's Very stylized. Very stylized. So anyways, I interrupted. Uh, yeah, go, go into more of your thoughts of uh, Existence. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, the only thing I knew about it is it was a David Cronenberg movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew it, you know, had a little bit of sci-fi virtual reality. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's funny. It's like such a auteur sci-fi vision, mm-hmm. um, but it's such a it's such a weird movie. It's so like weird. only only David Cronenberg would would have a movie where the video game controllers and and the guns look like human organs, mm-hmm. um, and it, everything is so like organic, and not nothing is like cold. Like nothing is like uh, just cold tech. It's like all like beating heart organic matter mm-hmm. which is such a cronenberg choice and honestly the tech doesn't of the, the t- technology in the movie doesn't feel that dated because it's strangely made up of like you know organic matter right um which is such an odd odd choice mm-hmm. but yeah i would say my relationship with cronenberg movies is um i i have a lot of of work to do on his like earlier stuff mm-hmm. i haven't seen like a lot of his more famous early stuff I, like i've seen like the brood um that's one of the early ones i've seen mm-hmm. but um, I've seen more of his more recent, like 2000s era, like crime thrillers, which I really dig, mm-hmm. you know, history of violence, Eastern promises. Um, those are like really fascinating movies and they kind of have that Cronenberg spin within like the crime genre. Right. Um, so this ex- existence is like a little more out on a limb for me because I'm, I think we've talked about this in the podcast before. I'm a little squeamish when it comes to, like intense body horror right and existence doesn't get super horror intense with it but it definitely is like definitely is like very freaky like uh like the bio ports that they plug into to play the video games to play the like the virtual reality games mm-hmm. um honestly freaked me out as much as it did jude law's character i was i was equally freaked <laughs> yeah. out by the bio ports as he was and yeah let's not how they would he was like will let's, it get infected is it gonna <laughs> right let's not uh, beat around the bush it looks like a butthole like it, it, it's, 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 it's yeah. exactly what it looks like. Uh, and, and for people that don't know Cronenberg, he kind of adds that type of layer to it where, uh, he's very aware or he either has a deep fear of, uh, the things that can happen to your body, whether it's decaying, whether it's hurt, whether it's being taken advantage of all that stuff. So he, he fully leans in and, uh, kind of linking video games with that is fascinating. Um, uh, but yeah, go right. go back into more of your it, your fear it, of the, or not the fear, but just it, how it, it, interesting that was. Yeah, 
it, it just it does make my stomach turn and um it's honestly make makes me a little bit apprehensive to watch his like more really intense like horror body horror stuff yeah um but i thought it was interesting in this type of movie um where it's like a virtual reality game is like the basis for the for the film but i came across this this review from back in 99 by one of our favorite uh critics wesley morris oh, nice. he was writing for i think the san francisco san francisco gate back then i think huh. he writes for the new york times now um his review says uh quote the body is david cronenberg's temple of jokester doom <laughs> for him it's that place where the real dissolves in, into disfigurements viscera and scar tissue so convincingly grotesque that the knowledge that a makeup artist did this just isn't an, an adequate consolation unquote which is which is how i felt about the movie is like i know this is like very like interesting like makeup work and that this is Cronenberg's thing, but it's just really freaks me out. And I'm like, not okay with, with, you know, the, what they're doing to their bodies to play these games. Um, I would say on, on first watch, I, there are things I liked about it, but I, I would say definitely the middle part of the movie, I thought dragged and kind of pulled me out of it a little bit and like kind of lost interest in where it was going until the end, which we can discuss mm-hmm. in a minute here. Um, which, which kind of brought me back to like thinking more about the ideas of the movie and, and whatnot. But that's that's kind of where I where I landed on it uh, after first watch. Yeah, uh, about four or five years ago now, I went through all of Dave and Cronenberg's movies, and I think everything in his filmography had been released except for Crimes of the Future. Uh, so I, I've I've seen them all, and definitely Existence was one that I just forgot about. It it wasn't hmm. uh, so many of his other movies um, are creepier or more iconic like the fly uh or more uh existential dread like videodrome um kind of poppy fun with the dead zone um weirdly enough i just realized those all came out back to back to back so that what a good stretch by him um but then so existence comes along and it, it's kind of the last movie re-watching it maybe realize it's kind of the last movie of his early career um it mm-hmm. it yeah. From his next movie was Spider with Ray Fiennes. And that's more of a psychological thriller, too. And then you get into that history of violence in Eastern Promises era that you're talking about, where he tones down his body horror aspect, but you still know it's his type of movie. And he, he doesn't go back to it until really Crimes of the Future, um, which I actually haven't seen yet. Um, so I, I just know that kind of from happenstance and reading about it. Um, but Existence on a rewatch, I thought was riveting. Not in the way of like a, a riveting, uh, a movie that popped in my head uh, while watching was Inception. Uh, just how the structure of the twist are. Yeah, I thought of Inception. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it's not entertaining in that way, but it's so entertaining. Uh, I, I think this would be a good transition into like one of the questions that I just posed at the end of this. What was going on in the zeitgeist at the time that kind of spawned both of these movies? And Y2K being the the big one for both. The, the fear of technology. We didn't really program technology to continue after this point. What's going to happen? Is everything going to break? Is the world going to end? And that was in my mind. But some of the things I've thought about while this was happening was uh, Columbine happened very shortly before this movie. And one of the big talking points that came out of it was the violence of video games and how that is prescient in youth of America and youth of the world. And uh, just 
And also I just to interject, yeah. I think uh, after Columbine, I think people pointed to the matrix because I think right. um, they were wearing like trench coats and, right. and kind of had that matrix, that matrixy look that they, which I, I don't think the, the, the shooters were inspired by the matrix no. uh, apparently, but, but they had kind of that look. And I think obviously that movie was huge at the time. So it's funny, both of these movies being kind of, linked to that right tragedy yeah it's so weird and i didn't even necessarily see uh if columbine really inspired either either of these movies uh well it happened the same year as both too so it's really interesting uh yeah april 20th 1999 and i think both of these were early summer releases so um definitely wasn't necessarily inspired but it, it in the consciousness kind of the violence of video games and it being integrated into uh just my uh mixing what is reality versus not reality um just this movie i feel like existence played on uh kind of sexual repression a lot uh at the beginning of the movie jude law uh very overtly states that he has a fear of anything penetrating his body and uh what a quote yeah what a quote just from (laughs) straight straight off the bat it's like yeah me me too man um but yeah so that like that's a just growing up in a religious culture, there's a lot of sexual repression. Um, I don't think this movie is necessarily talking about that, but it seemed like uh, it was trying to comment on that a little bit more than I realized at all the first time. And then uh, this one, I, I don't know when Ready Player One came out, but uh, this is a Ready Player One type of uh, world where everybody plugs in. You Eventually, you aren't quite sure what's real and what's not. Um, and then really having a reckoning with... Uh, how these are affecting our bodies and our mental state. So um, as, and then what happened right now, earlier this week, I think the Apple vision pro was released and is able, uh, is available for purchase. And then another thing that popped in my mind, uh, cryptocurrency is I'm I'm not a cryptocurrency person really, but I have friends and family that are, and they were telling me about uh, how cryptocurrency within gaming uh, is being used to gain actual wealth. Um, so people are buying up for new games. There's a new game coming out that I don't think is released yet called Hitopia, uh, H-Y-T-O-P-I-A, where you can buy actual game currency, save that, and the, I guess it's going to gain traction, become uh, more lucrative, and then you can sell it off for actual cash to anybody that wants to buy it, I guess. I don't know. But it extends it's such a good job of where it's different from the matrix. And I found a little bit more interesting that it, it really showed the effects of all different aspects of society with gaming and virtual reality and uh, the melding of the two. And uh, I, I found that really fascinating on a rewatch um, matrix is I would say a, a better movie. Uh, one I don't enjoy as much, but I think there's nothing about existence. You're going to be like, Oh, Hey, throw this on. I think you'll really enjoy it to the, kind of casual moviegoer. Um, it's fun to see Jude Law looking good and being in this weird role. Uh, I think Jennifer Jason Lee is weirdly uh, uh, tantalizing in this movie. She's, I wouldn't say attractive, but she is, uh, she's, she's got something going on that like, it makes sense for a Cronenberg movie that she played this character. I really find her interesting yeah. as a performer, kind of like a Chloe Sevigny type of perform- performer. And even a Keanu type of performer where I look at her and like, you're kind of a wooden actress. But you are so much more than that type of label. So um, mm-hmm. there's just so much about this movie that I really want to 
think more and more about and read more about. And uh, it's just so interesting how just certain moments at that time, like Columbine, like Y2K, uh, knowingly or not knowingly, uh, really fell into the the themes of the time with these movies. So um, yeah. did anything like that pop up in your head while you're watching it? Or was it kind of just more a shock watching a Cronenberg movie where in order to play a game, you have to plug into a hole in your spine and your spine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I, I was thinking about all those things mm-hmm. and I mean, definitely Y2K, which we were very young. I think my memory of, of the Y2K time is like pretty vague yeah, and, for sure. and fuzzy. I remember like adults like talking about it and like maybe kind of concerned about it, but not, it wasn't like a, wasn't really going to be the apocalypse. I actually just watched this documentary on, on max on HBO max called a, uh, Time Bomb Y2K came mm-hmm. out last year and it was kind of like a look back at that era and like the people who were like warning against uh, the danger, like the dangers of Y2K. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a fascinating to see that as an adult, you know, kind of looking back at like what my parents uh, were, were looking at at the time and they were like maybe a little bit older than me, but similar age. And they were probably like, is this real? Like, is this what's happening with this thing? Um, so it makes sense, like in the run up to ni- 1999, before the calendar flips over to 2000, th- that was in the air. Mm-hmm. And I think you see that with these two movies, like people were people who are making movies and and writing books, you know, we're definitely thinking about these ideas so that all that seeps into to both of these movies. Um, the rise of the Internet, of course, was it was huge. I think it was just exploding around this time. And I think both of these movies kind of in different ways kind of point to that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was thinking, of course I was thinking about the comparisons between the two. Mm-hmm. I mean, they both, I mean, they're both kind of like about waking up to the truth and right. they're about like, I think the term slave pods is, is uttered in both of them. Oh yeah, you're right. Um, there's yeah. like, <laughs> there's like a little bit of like light body horror in the matrix, like you said, and there's a lot of it in, in, uh, existence and, but they're also both about kind of about the matrix is a lot about revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, and humanity fighting back and existence is kind of about a uh, rebellion against like, um, you know, spoilers for this movie for existence. Were you okay with doing spoilers? Yeah. Yeah. For, I think for, okay. we should have said up top, definitely recommend obviously watching these before, uh, yeah. you, you come into this conversation. So, yeah. So, you know, it, it's, it's all about, you know, these, people who are infiltrating these games to take them down because people feel like they're leading society down the wrong path and people are, people are not living their lives. They're stuck in the game and they're worried about their game lives. Um, so that, I mean, all of that is like very similar to the two movies, but obviously like we discussed, they're, they're made in such different ways with such different visions and different performances. Like I love Jude law. Um, but he wasn't Jude Law yet, mm-hmm. you know, like he, he was in Gattaca in 97. Uh, Talented Mr. Ripley, which he was nominated for an Oscar, comes out later in 99. So he wasn't really Jude Law yet. He would be soon. Um, this isn't really my favorite. I, mean, I thought he was interesting to watch. Not my favorite of his performances. Mm-hmm. I've never really been a Jennifer Jason Lee person. Um, maybe I just haven't seen the right movies. Um, but I actually did think she, like you said, was kind of a good fit for this type of Cronenberg experience. For sure. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, it's, it's a kind of a fascinating, which is why I'm glad you recommended we, we twin these movies together because they're kind of just so fascinating to examine side by side. I wonder what was going through Jude Law's head at this time. Cause pretty close 
together. He was in three cult classic sci-fi movies. Uh, I think the most cult classic being Gattaca, third one? being Gattaca and then uh, Existence and then Artificial Intelligence. So um, oh, yeah. AI, which is uh, was supposed to be Kubrick's next movie until he passed away and then uh, Spielberg took over, which one just highly underrated movie. The movie is awesome. Uh, it, it's fun seeing Spielberg do kind of a, a Kubrick impression while also adding his own inevitable spin on it. Uh, but I think he's, Jude Law's magnificent in that movie. That's probably my favorite performance of like, if you're just grouping all of his three sci-fi epics together, but yeah, it, it might've just been the time that uh, sci-fi movies were, we were in the alien era, the Blade Runner era, still kind of coming off of that. So uh, sci-fi had some juice and uh, weird ones were getting financed and he just happened to be in some of the weirdest ones. So um, I, I'm excited that he was even in a movie like this and kind of knocking off uh, the list of uh, great directors that he's working with too. So um, I think we're, these two movies pair the best together is um, there's an obvious sense of trying to find truth, but it, it, it does, mm-hmm. they both do such a good job of as you get deeper and deeper and deeper into finding whatever truth is, whatever truth is that you kind of just get more confused in the process. It's a little bit more apparent in existence where uh, you mentioned the twist earlier and again, spoilers um, there's many times where, uh, a layer's pulled back and you're like, oh, we're in reality now. And then it, it mm-hmm. takes a step back and the characters are questioning if they are in reality. And then it takes another step back and you think they're in reality again. And then the movie ends kind of on another cliffhanger type thing. So, uh, and then the matrix does the same thing where you, you're, you're given this, uh, all encompassing pill, uh, red pill or blue pill that you can take one to go back to your normal, sad life or, uh, all, uh, revealing worlds that, uh, will provide clarity for you, but you still don't get clarity or in the process of finding that clarity, you lose a lot of sense of self that you had before. So it, those are fascinating universal themes that I think is why existence is kind of having a reclaimant, uh, just happening to be in the same year as the matrix. And people are like, no, this is actually the more truthful one, which coming out of it, I, I kind of, that's kind of was where my head was at. I'm like, this has so many more ideas. I'm like, no, Billy, you just spent a whole, you had a whole life of people examining the matrix. So you kind of have heard all of those different things. Whereas for existence, mm-hmm. these are all new ideas and new, not new ideas, but a, a, a new lens on what was happening at the time. Um, yeah. So Drew, do you think if existence came out? So I think the, Ma- I know the matrix came out first and then I think a month or two later existence came out. If Existence was the one that came out first, do you think there was any chance that it could have had the Matrix type of heat attached to it? Yeah, so Existence came out three weeks after mm-hmm. the Matrix in the U.S. Uh, no, I don't. Yeah. Um, I, I think it, it's it's such a tough sell as a movie, and it, it's such like a singular vision from a director. And then you don't have the stars attached. You know, Jude Law is not truly a movie star yet. Jennifer Jason Lee's I think mostly been in smaller stuff at that point. Um, so no, I, I don't think it, it could have been a, a big movie. I think um, maybe it did kind of get totally swamped, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, sci-fi fans were probably, I'm assuming back then in 99, we're freaking out about the matrix sure. and probably not worried about this smaller, you know, Cronenberg sci-fi movie, but 
Um, yeah, it, it is like, it, it, it's funny to, to think about how they were probably viewed in 99 together, released so close to each other and how they're viewed 25 years later um, with, you know, like you said, people reclaiming existence um, as, you know, a lot better than it was received at the time. Maybe people looking more critically at the Matrix. I mean, we, you talked about earlier how the Matrix has been kind of interpreted by all these different communities mm-hmm. out there, and online communities. And I mean, which is honestly what I find very fascinating about the the text of the Matrix is that like, you know, right wing conspiracy QAnon people have have something to, that they've taken out of it. Um, you know, like you, like you said, it's like become a lot big in the trans community as like a trans allegory. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that all these different groups and all these different people have, have seen something in this movie does make me think it's, it's going to be a lasting movie for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious. So you said you think the matrix is probably the better movie of existence. You might prefer like yeah. from a personal standpoint, mm-hmm. um, is that just the Cronenberg effect or, or is there anything in, in either of them that you can kind of suss out as far as how you feel about both of them. I think it's, it's mainly the Cronenberg effect. I think he's a, just a, a master filmmaker. Um, you, you can point to uh, a lot of different directors that I think were given the confidence to work in genre, the way that Cronenberg works in genre. Um, but I also think, I, I, I think it's an important distinction from both the matrix and existence is existence. Like it might, like we can get into the heady aspect of it where, we talk about the philo- philosophical outlook, the the current events that are happening around it that were uh, aff- affecting the story a little bit. But this movie is amazing at just showing what playing video games is like, uh, which I thought was just really, really cool. Um, and I think that's where uh, it, it helps take a leg up to outside of the Cronenberg effect, where uh, the Matrix kind of reinvented, not reinvented, invented its own world, whereas Existence took... Uh, the idea of what a video game world is and overlaid it into a Cronenberg lens in a really, really mm-hmm. fascinating and obvious way. Um, just with how you interact with different characters within the game. Uh, just the, the, the aesthetic styles of certain that certain games have uh, it, and that gaming has only gotten bigger from here on out is just, it's fascinating. I don't think I touched on that enough when we were initially talking about it. like it's, so good at acting like a video game and it doesn't take you out of it at all either by and i've never been a big gamer right. which is maybe why i'm not as like psyched about the experience of watching existence right. but i don't you, I, you're not a huge gamer either right no but, i play like one game a year play, maybe yeah. you've mm-hmm. okay but yeah yeah well i mean certainly the gaming aspect is like a big reason why people are kind of analyzing these two movies exactly. i think more and more as 25 years later mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, Matrix kind of loosely putting yourself in that world and then existence being very, very literal about it. But it's funny. What do you, If you had to guess, we'll, we'll kind of end on this note. Uh, if you had to guess, how much movie do you think existence or how much money did you think existence made at the domestic box office? If you haven't oh, looked it up already. Uh, I, I don't think I looked it up when I was, when I was researching mm-hmm. or I don't think I saw it. It, it couldn't have been more than couldn't have been more than 10 i'll say seven seven uh it made less than three million dollars uh two million dollars gosh wow yeah uh yeah so just shy of three million dollars and uh yeah i think that 
makes it make sense that even if this came out before the matrix, it might've had a little bit more juice. Um, just the novelty aspect of it being a, a gaming movie. Um, I, yeah. I don't think necessarily the world had caught up to what games were going to look like shortly after this movie. Uh, this, it yeah. definitely plays into like the grand theft auto, the red dead redemption type of all encompassing world type of games, world of Warcraft. Um, but yeah, the matrix, uh, I think it made $140 million domestic when I looked it up earlier. And, uh, that is insane. That's not even worldwide. I'm, I'm sure it made a lot more yeah. worldwide after that. Uh, made 173 million uh, domestic, which is insane, and then almost 300 million worldwide. Holy cow, that's insane. Yeah. Um, so yeah, guys, this was our first week of the our 1999 podcast, like it's 1999 mini series. Um, we got weird with this one, mainly because of the movies that we were watching. <laughs> uh, just the, the life of uh, these movies have taken since they've come out are it's it, I don't think anybody could have predicted the success of both or the success of the matrix and even the lasting power of existence in the weird way that it's, it, it kind of has lasted. Um, but next week, since you stayed through the whole episode, I will tease next week's episode. We have our comedy edition. We are going to be watching and talking about election and office space. Um, okay. yeah, Alexander Payne and, uh, Ron Livingston star for office space. I'm not quite sure who directed that one. Sorry. Director of office space. Um, Mike judge, Mike judge. So, uh, both office space being kind of a, a relic of the time and like a, a, yeah, just a huge relic of the time, a, a cold classic almost instantly. Um, mm-hmm. and then election, just one of the darker comedies you're ever going to see and, but not yeah. in a way that's going to turn me off to Cause I watched that for the first time last year. And uh, man, I loved it. And then just also it helps that Alexander Payne had a movie come out last year with the holdovers. So uh, we are so excited to talk about those movies. And then the last week, we'll uh, you'll have to check out our social media for the last week. Uh, we'll, we'll tease that one once we talk about Office Space and Election. But Drew, anything else about these movies you want to throw out there before we, we, we close this one out? No, I, I think we I think we covered most of what I wanted to, to hit on. Um, yeah, join us next week. Watch them. Watch Office Space and Election along with us. Two of the best comedies of the '90s. Mm-hmm. So uh, it'll be a fun, uh, fun one to go back 25 years ago. You know what people thought was funny, and and maybe uh, maybe that have taken on new new meanings and new resonance since. since they then. definitely have. Um, yeah, guys, this is the Do Like Apples podcast. This is the aforementioned 1999 miniseries. Uh, I am Billy Rock. My co-host is with me, Drew Wentz. Uh, thank you to Ryan Jenkins for the intro music, the wonderful intro music. Um, stick with us past the month of February, too, when we get back into the the thick of what we're known for, the, our, our drafts, our profiles of directors. We'll be getting that back there. But February just generally sucks as a movie month, and we, we needed to look <laughs> back a little bit. So uh, please let us know your thoughts about these movies. If you have seen both of them, I hope you watch both of them before you listen to this episode. Um, you can follow us on Instagram and X at you like underscore apples. We are on Letterboxd uh, at you like apples. And then please subscribe to our newsletter on Substack that comes out every Friday morning. And our podcast will be comes out generally every Wednesday morning. So uh, please like, review, subscribe at all those places. And yeah, thanks Drew for coming. This was a this is a ton of fun for two very very weird movies. Thank you.
like apples.